0: came from my ballet training just that idea that practice makes perfect keep working at it until you can do it and then you you can always work harder you can always try you can do one pirouette or you can do three pirouettes it's up to you you have to push yourself through it there's a lot of things in my life where I'm like oh that's from my ballet training. That's why I push myself so hard. And so in my personal life, I kind of have that same—I kind of have that same drive to make everything better from my own standard, not not everyone else's standard, but from my own standard.
1: Hello everyone and welcome again to another episode of Sporting Directions proudly sponsored by Tsunami Teamwear with me Gavin Taylor and myself Tavis Roberts. For those of you new to the show the Sporting Direction podcast is aimed at providing some ideas and guidance for those of you wanting to pursue a career in the world of sport. Over the course of this first series we'll be interviewing a range of professionals from different areas of the sporting world to share their amazing stories. We're having them share some of their achievements, their struggles and any advice that they have for the rest of you listening. We're really happy today to welcome Tanya Keller. Now, Tanya Keller is a dance teacher, former business owner, and has a PhD in dance. Tanya's been involved in dance for many, many years, and we're super excited to welcome Tanya and hear her story. Welcome, Tanya.
0: Hi. Hi, Gavin. Good to see you. Lovely
1: to meet you, Tanya. Thank you so much for taking the time out with us uh, today. So gonna start off by just asking a super question, super simple to start with. Can you just tell us a little bit about a strongest memory that you have that led you in pursuing a career within dance?
0: Well, I think that my strongest memory has to be when I was very, very young, my grandmother had a record that, she had a whole collection of records and she would let me go through the records and, um, and, and just play them. And I found a record, it was not black like the rest of the records, it was a blue like see-through color and that's what drew me to it. But then when I played it, it turned out that it was uh, all of Strauss's waltzes. And when I heard that music, particularly artist's life, I just, I don't know but something inside me just knew that i wanted to dance to something like that and so the music has always been very very important to me that of course changed as i got older but uh i that's one of my strongest memories is dancing to that album in my grandmother's living room and thinking that that was the happiest that anybody could ever be
2: (laughs) i think we can all remember uh, a great song that we've heard from uh, our childhood. Uh, It may be from the TV or it may be from the records or anything like that, but there's always something that seems to speak to us. Has your taste in music sort of progressed throughout your life uh, from the first days of your grandmother's records to where you are now? Have you noticed a transition in what is feeling for you?
0: Oh, yes. My, my music, my taste in music is very eclectic. I, I always tell everybody that you would not want to look at my playlist on my iPhone because I have classical music, opera music, K-pop music, hard rock music, grunge music, like so, so many. And then, of course, so much ballet music. So you would, not, you, you would think that I had many, many personalities if you looked at that at my playlists. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really cool that uh, you have such a diverse range, okay? And so going forward, you're able to maybe approach music many different ways. So how did you find yourself inspired by such a diverse range of music? Not just one type, and do you think that's a good thing to have uh, such a diverse taste in music?
0: I think that it is important to know a little, know a little bit, enough to, enough to have a conversation about many, many things, diverse things, uh, because you never know what you can learn. You never know what you can learn from that. And so you have to, yes, I, I completely think that you have to have, you, you need to try and keep your, your options open. But I, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here or not, but I would say that there, a lot of the reason that my music tastes became radically diverse is because when I did open my businesses later in life, um, you have to be able to wear a lot of hats. And so I couldn't just teach ballet. I had to teach other kinds of dance, tap, jazz, hip hop, contemporary. And so I immediately, you know, like the first thing that inspires me is always the music. So I had to, I acquired a taste for all these different kinds of music because I had to learn how to teach them in in a dance class.
1: What's really interesting there is I've not heard, heard a dance teacher speak that way round as in what you're saying is that you've gone from the music was then what inspired you to then link the music to the dance styles whereas usually some of the people I've spoken to in the past have gone other way they they obviously try and work on like you said a contemporary or a or a ballet and then fit fit the music in so I really I think that's a really leads me on to my next question because I would like to talk a bit about um you know the business side of things we haven't had a a guest on yet like yourself that's that set up their own business from scratch and obviously you've said there a little bit about your inspiration from uh the music and then that led you into potentially making up your own business but can you talk me through kind of how that came around so you've got an inspiration for dance you've inspired yourself with different types of music that's led you then to have different hats as you've said um to then deliver different types of dance but how did you then go from that to going? okay, now I'm gonna own my own studio. How did that, how did that happen?
0: Well, um, for me, I have two beautiful children and I decided when I had my first child that I didn't want to have to get a job where I would have to be gone from my children from nine to five and like never see them, and but I knew that I was also going to have to be a dance teacher because that was all that that's all I that's all I knew at that point in my life was dance, and so um, it was kind of like this perfect storm of how do I get to spend the most time with my children, how can I make a living that can support my family, and so I decided to start a dance a a dance school that way when my children were very young they could be with me all day long and then they could be at the studio in the evening while I was having classes and um when and then when they went to school if uh I was lucky I have have a son and a daughter both of whom danced and when they were when they were very young and one of whom continues to dance um, so they just, they grew up in the studio, they always spent time in the studio, and that was really my, my biggest motivation was that I didn't, I didn't want to miss that. I didn't want to miss raising my kids because I was a business owner.
1: What's nice to hear about that kind of story is that um, you, you obviously enjoy working with children and young adults because you're a dance teacher. Um, both Tavis and I are teachers and the listeners obviously know that already but what's quite nice is not only did you get some inspiration and, and, a, and a passion for dance because of that you also wanted to do that to support your children and, and make sure that you had time with them as well so that's quite a nice um, thought process as well for those that are listening that do have uh, kids or or that you know um, have that to, to go alongside with them but I kind of want to know a little bit more about um, barriers that that you you came up against so you've already explained that you know your children were the most important thing to you at the time and but you had this passion to to create your own dance school and and things like that obviously you then ended up creating your own business which is super successful which you should be really proud of but I'm just kind of interested to know where what were the difficult days what were the dark days what were the times or the (laughs) sacrifices that you had to make or the barriers that were in place that you know you had to overcome to then make sure that Everything as you said yourself pieced together.
0: Yeah. Um definitely being a woman. Like that's definitely one of like I my my the woman the 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 woman who finally gave me my loan for my business used to tell me that um she was one of the reasons she gave me the loan was because I came into her bank about six months pregnant with my son son, and holding my two-year-old daughter by the hand (laughs) and uh, told her I wanted a loan to open a dance school. And she she thought that that was really... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like brave, I guess. Like she, she thought that, that she was really impressed by the fact that I came in there as a woman, pregnant with a baby, telling her, "Hey, I have this idea to open this business because I want, I want to, I want this, I want to be there for my kids. Can you help?" And I didn't, I didn't really have like I was just starting out. I didn't have a lot of collateral or a lot of um, money to put to invest into the business. And I'm really thankful to her because she really she she went really hard to get me uh to get me the loans for those first businesses. Well for the first business <laughs> That's and then after, real- and then after that after that it was because of that first business it was easier to open a second business but I do think that there's I was too young to understand, I just knew what I wanted to do and just went to bank after bank after bank until I found somebody who was willing to help me. But I was too young, I think at that point to understand that not always, and I'm not saying all banks, but not all banks take Female entrepreneurs seriously. They they tend to think that you know you're going to be too distracted by your children, or you're going to be too distracted by your family, and you know, and you won't be able to focus and make that business successful. At least that's my that's my read on it. <laughs> um, so I was very fortunate to also find like another female bank person who was like hey you know maybe maybe she can do this.
2: Thanks Tanya for sharing such a a visual story because while (laughs) you were talking I could totally picture you uh baby in one arm toddler in the other walking into the bank and as you said that's quite courageous so I I would have to ask, where did you develop your sort of self-confidence to be able to get to that stage? What was driving you or what was sort of inspiring you to give you this sort of strength, this uh, internal character to be able to ask for help, which is a really important skill for anyone. So where did this come from?
0: Oh, well, okay. Two things. I have a lot of very, um, self-reliant women in my family who were very good examples um but the other probably came from my ballet training just uh, that idea that practice makes perfect keep working at it until you can do it uh, and then you you can always work harder, you can always try, you can do one pirouette or you can do three pirouettes, it's up to you, you have to push yourself through it. And I was just talking to one of my colleagues the other day about like, there's a lot of things in my life where I'm like, oh, that's from my ballet training. That's why I push myself so hard because I want, I, want my, I want my leg to be higher or I want my back to be straighter or I wanna do more turns. And so in my personal life, I kind of have that same, I kind of have that same drive to make everything, how do I say, not better from my own standard. Not not everyone else's standard, but from my own standard.
2: I, I get that. Um, having this sort of internal drive to always keep pushing yourself uh, can sometimes be difficult for the people around that <laughs> because we hold them to such high expectations. Um, mm, yeah. You dropped a couple of golden nuggets in there, like practice makes perfect and keep working harder. And a lot of this has come from your dad's experience as a child. Since you've opened up your business, is there any sort of big success stories that sort of strike you that also keep pushing you through? Like who have you been able to make an impact on and how did that come about?
0: My most favorite thing about being a business owner was seeing my students have have a career in dance, be successful. Go on to. I had students that went to Gelsey Kirkland Academy, Houston Ballet, Orlando Ballet. Um, I have one student right now who's in Park Point. Uh, just to see their success, I can't tell you how um, what what kind of feeling of satisfaction that gives you to see someone that you taught at a very small age, as a adult, (laughs) a fully grown adult walking around and out in the world. And you know that you helped get them to that point. You know, even if if it was for just a short time, but like for a lot of them, my own daughter, for example, she's what we call the legacy. So um, I'm a graduate of the Royal Academy of Dance. And she just graduated from the Royal Academy of Dance. So, like, I just I find a great deal of satisfaction in knowing that I that I might have inspired her. I'm sure she had. I'm sure all of them have had many, many other inspirations as well. But that's that's a special feeling for sure.
1: One of the things I love about this podcast, and I'm just going to jump in there, is um, that every time we speak to somebody their passion and enthusiasm comes out. And we've had a number of different athletes come on from different sporting backgrounds. Um, But yours, again, speaks to that kind of, the the teacher in us, the coach in us, the the influencer in us, this idea of trying to do the best that we can for every student and then being super proud of them when they go off and they're successful and feeling like you've made a difference, you've played your part. And obviously you've got the example there and you talked about your daughter, graduating from the Royal Academy of Dance and stuff like that, which is just absolutely amazing. Um, can you continue on that vein for me a little bit? And just if there was a listener out there thinking who was really inspired by this and was like, you know what? I really want to get involved in dance um, either because they're inspired by the idea of making up their own business like yourself and, and going to be a business owner or simply being involved as a teacher, as I know, as I know you, you, you do now what advice would you give them? Where do they start? Where do they go? What, what, what piece of advice would you give them if they wanted to start that journey to be a dance teacher or dance owner?
0: Well, the first thing I would say, because this, this goes back to your, one of your previous questions about like when I started my business. A few years into it, what I realized was that I was a really good dancer, but I did not know how to teach. <laughs> and so um that's what kind of took me on my academic journey in dance because I really didn't so much of teaching is not just the transmission of knowledge there's there's classroom behavior management there is emotional management there is like also learning how to manage people, manage a team. There's so many different parts of it and I didn't know anything about that and I wasn't prepared for any of it. And so it took me a really, I, I finally told myself, I need I need to go, I need to get an education in dance. And which sounds very odd for like someone who was a professional dancer to say, I need to get the education in dance, but it was really, I needed to get a dance Teaching education, so um, I would say that that's very, very important. And uh, because you can be a, a beautiful dancer and you can have all this knowledge inside your body, but getting that information out of your mouth is another is a completely different is a completely different story. <laughs>
1: Again, that's super refreshing to hear because, and again, smiling. I know Tavis and I are both as teachers, and we've had again a number of guests come on and they say similar thing to you. you know, as, a, as a performer, um, I had the set skills, but I think it's really good that you've talked about this importance of making sure that you go and get some sort of educational training to deliver your knowledge because you've obviously got lots of it. Having a PhD in dance, for example, it's then trying to find ways to get that information out in the most effective way. And yeah, i I'd certainly would echo that from a from a general P teacher point of view. Uh, and then obviously from a specific coaching point of view as well, I think that's really good advice to the listeners. Um, I just want to kind of ask you a little bit, I know that we talked off air about um, having a network that people can attach themselves to if they want to find out some more information. Do you want to talk a little bit about that for us?
0: Um, in regards to my
1: website, my
0: Facebook page,
1: Yes, yeah, it sounded really interesting when you were talking about it before.
0: Okay, so I have a a Facebook page because I am currently living and working in China, which is like a whole, you know, everybody's got lots of chapters in their lives, so it's just a totally new chapter. Um, So while I was here, I began to understand that those dance teaching practices or I'm just gonna generalize and say teaching practices. They're completely different, um, depending on what culture that you're you're teaching in. And I wanted a place for specifically my field, dance teachers who were working internationally to um, be able to discuss the complexities of working internationally. So, um, It all started because I'm working on an article, a journal article saying called that will never work in China, (laughs) because when I came here to China, every time I threw a teaching idea out at my at my managers, they would just immediately respond with that will never work here. That will never work here. And I was like, but you haven't even tried it. You know, come on, you need to try it. You need to see if it'll work. I think it'll work. It was it was 50-50. In reality, it was it was 50-50. But um, so it started as that. I just kind of interviewed a few of my fellow colleagues and asked them, you know, like questions, sort of like what you're asking: what's the hardest part about teaching here? What does work? What doesn't work? Because I had at the same time written an article for my And I am a Ph.D. ABD, I should be graduating with my full Ph.D. in July. I just want to get that out there because I don't want anybody to say, oh, she's not a Ph.D. yet. I'm I'm graduating projected for July 20 in July 2022. So, you know, we would have in these conversations about how difficult teaching abroad is. And I just wanted I wanted to I wanted to put this article out there saying like this is this is the experience in China. This is what's going on. I started interviewing my friends and colleagues around me because I kept getting from the people who um, decide what gets put in a journal and what doesn't um, that I didn't have enough of the teacher's own own reasons in in my article and I was like okay I'm gonna fill this thing with the teacher's own reasons you know and so that's kind of how it started but it's since it's, it's gotten a lot bigger and I've, I've interviewed a bunch of teachers from all over that aren't just teaching in China and I'm still I'm still working on the article at the, at the moment but um, I'm hoping to also make it a place where dance teachers can come and have these discussions offer recommendations and possibly help you know if you if you if you intend to work internationally for the rest of your life maybe have a network of people that you can connect with to find places where they're looking for dance teachers or if you are a dance school and you are looking for teachers you know just kind of like a chat room for for dance teachers working internationally <laughs>
1: That's an excellent idea. What what we can do, obviously, uh, uh, for the listeners out there who are interested in getting involved in that, we can uh, attach the the, the link within the description box and and make sure that anyone that's interested in uh, reaching out to you or learning from other dance teachers that are posted in that group, um, that they have a place to go. Um, I think that's a great thing. And that's something that there are other podcasts out there that we've worked with already from a PE teaching field. That do exactly that. So I think it's wonderful that someone like yourself is pushing that from a from a dance specific point of view and been able to obviously yes. steal the expertise and share the expertise and best practice of, of those around different parts of the world. So um we're coming to the end of our interview. We we thank you hugely for your time. I, we've got a couple more questions for you before uh Tavis kind of rounds it off for us, but just a quick one from me. I always like to ask at the end. Um, what is your mantra, Tanya? What's the a uh, one phrase or sentence that you feel that you live your life by?
0: Can I do three? Because I have three that I
1: repeat all, all the time in my brain. <laughs> it's it's unheard of, but we'll allow it. We'll allow it.
0: <laughs> well, you, usually whenever I'm going into a situation where I'm kind of um, apprehensive, or even you know just just where I feel like there it may be a little stressful, I always tell myself. Three things, Um, I can do hard things, my thoughts are not true, and always pause before you speak. It's my little instruction list before I talk. (laughs) They
2: are three great pieces of advice to live by. Um, And it sort of like separates what you're able to Uh, think to what you want to say and how you want to project yourself so really strong messages something that I could probably (laughs) do with some help with I might be writing those ones down later Tanya. Um, My question is, what is a strange habit or skill that you have developed or have that has helped you on your journey.
0: You asked my daughter, you should say they were a lot. But I'm going to say, and this is going to sound very strange. I have, I have OCD. I'm, I'm incredibly obsessive compulsive. And um, in my younger years, a lot of people found that irritating and thought that it was a really negative trait. But over time, I, I again, have learned how to control it better. But it is definitely one of my strongest traits and i'm very proud of it at this point
2: (laughs) dania tanya that's been amazing um throughout this interview you've tap danced our way from being an early child and listening to grandma's uh records (laughs) being a business owner and uh taking ownership of uh and recognizing the strengths of your own weaknesses, or not a weakness, but OCD. And it's really (laughs) great to hear. You've dropped us some great advice about practice makes perfect, uh, and don't be afraid to work hard. I've really enjoyed your message that you've put across today, and I really thank you
1: and wish you well in the future.
0: Well, thank you, you too.
1: Tanya, thanks again from the Sporting Directions team for coming on. Uh, I'll just share Tavis' thoughts there. Really, really happy to share your journey with us. Thank you so much. Um, We hope the listeners, you've really enjoyed it and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everyone.